You're listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, generate content, and grow brand awareness. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest is Nick Leotis. Nick, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeremy. So let's jump right into our topic, which is what content marketers can learn from journalists. And this is a great topic because you yourself have a background in journalism. I have some background in journalism. So this is a topic near and dear to my heart. So let's start with, with you. Tell us a little bit about your journalism background. Sure, sure. Like a lot of reformed journalists in, in content marketing yeah. <laughs> and marketing in general. Yeah, you know, it kind of started in a funny way. It started with, with, with Google. I always knew I was a decent writer. wasn't sure if I could do it professionally. And so I literally in, in college Googled how to monetize writing and journalism was one of the first things that, that came. And then from, from there, I found my way onto the Metro desk at my local paper in New Jersey, the Star Ledger as a, as a clerk and, you know, through weaseling my way and, and getting into, into the ears of all the editors, finally got to, to publish my first article when I was 18, 19 years old. You know, from there, you know, just, just really, really loved it. And it was great to learn from people who, who had been, been doing that forever. And uh, yeah, you know, journalism went through a huge digital transformation as we see through, through everything else. So as I on and, and worked at a few different papers, I found myself, you know, a bit at a crossroads and got an opportunity to join a startup focused on B2B publishing, which was kind of new to me at the time. You know, really now see all the connections to content marketing, which hadn't really had that, that name at the time. So I, I'd spent a really bulk my career there and, and then, you know, Got about uh, 10 years in, I realized I think I was ready for a change. And a really, really great mentor, person I talked to a lot in that job said, hey, you know, just think about the things you love most and, and you'll kind of be able to, in a way, back into the, <laughs> to the things that, you know, it's something that you love and the new, the new gig from there. And that ends up being content marketing, which is this like nascent, you know, area of marketing that was really coming into the, the fore. Fast forward a few years later and, and yeah, here, here I am just using that background to, to be a, a content, you know, head of content over at Parkboard. Okay. Very good. So as you mentioned before, you're certainly not alone. I think the world of content marketing is full of folks who start in journalism or have some kind of background in journalism. So there's obviously a decent amount of crossovers between the skills you need to do journalism and what works in content marketing. So let's get into that. What have you found are the skills that you learned as a journalist that you can now apply as a leader in content marketing? Yeah, I think no, no matter what, when... People are taking the time to, to read the things that, that, that you are putting out there into the world. They need to be compelling, right? They need to tell a good story. It doesn't matter if it's coming from a corporation or a newspaper or, you know, a, a large research analyst house. You really have to tell a good story. You have to think about the narrative. You have to think about the things that will engage those people and keep them reading. Um, you know, on top of that, you need to just think about reading behaviors. When I was a journalist, the most important portions of your story were the first three paragraphs. And, and the assumption was no one's going to read past that. 
you know, we call that the inverted pyramid, but I really just think it's just attention span. And they said that it's the attention span. And it's also to really age myself. It was a lack of space. <laughs> you would get, I would be assigned 18 inches for a new story. And you really have to get the most important information up top and really tell people what we call today in marketing the call to action, but you really had to get that call to action out and the urgency. Um, and so I think there was a lot of connective tissue there that made this transition a lot easier for me. I was good at telling stories. I kind of understood what the lead was, you know, and, and you know, that, that helped me understand what the call to action should be for the recipients of this information and helped me become a good marketer that way. Okay. Let's, let's stay on this a little bit. Cause I think this is really important. The, as you mentioned, when you're in, in journalism, and again, I have a little bit of a background too, so I, I can kind of share what I what I know. Your you know your goal in writing any given story, right, is to I mean first and foremost as a journalist to report the facts and be as objective as possible. You know, tell the truth with good sources and all that. In terms of actually writing and crafting a story, like you said, it's you learn this very particular technique, the inverted pyramid, if you're doing news. Or if you're writing more of like a magazine story, you might start with more of a narrative lead and then ha have what's called the nut graph, right? Where you have all the basic information you need. But one way or another, as you mentioned, in terms of structuring the story, right? You make this assumption that people might just skim the first few paragraphs. They might just skim the headline, right? So every single word counts. And you want people to be able to walk away from having just get skimmed even just a headline or the first paragraph, first couple paragraphs, and basically get the gist of what the story is about, right? If nothing else, Absolutely. if you're really good at this, right, you've drawn them in and they read the rest of the story. But so anyway, ideally, you do want them to read the whole thing, though, right? Beyond just the first sentence or two. So as a journalist, what techniques do you use in the first paragraph, in the lead, and then the next couple paragraphs to keep people interested and to keep them reading. So that's, this is kind of a two-part question. First, as a journalist, what are the techniques you use to keep people there? And then how do you apply that to your work today as a content marketer? Yeah, no, I think first off, you make a great point. I'm under no illusions that people are not judging books by their cover. We really have to do a good job as marketers of standing out. People are being served with so many emails and so much marketing per day, everything's saturated. So even if you're writing about the same things as everybody else, you have to find that new angle, which is a, a, a huge part of my journalism training. As far as the production goes, I really start with the recipients, the people who are going to be reading it. I think I try to put myself in, in, in their shoes and say, what, you know, I'm going to start big and I'm going to narrow down. Like, what are the most compelling things to them about this? What are, what's their urgency? What's the thing that makes them feel insecure about this problem? And how do we work towards a solution? And so when I'm, when I'm thinking about that, it helps me narrow down into the ideas that are most important to introduce in whether it's an executive summary or the introduction or through a, a, a layout of the actual contents of the, of the ebook. But it also helps with the other marketing of channel, the channel marketing, because the reality is whether they're receiving an email, they're seeing it on social media, you know, the, we need to meet them where they are and they need to be able to get the message quickly and easily. 
And that message needs to then filter directly to the, the piece of content that we've created. I think, I think that, you know, recent example of that was when we, we just put out our, you know, annual product excellence report. And what we really want to do is lead with the data. We get, a, we mm -hmm. survey, you know, over a thousand folks and, and we get all this really rich data and we pour through it. We spend a lot of time on it. And we have to just like a journalist sift through and try to find the most compelling pieces of information and then be able to present that first and foremost and say, Hey, if you, if you're, if you're going to read this for any reason, here's your top five reasons you should be reading this. And that's literally how we stopped it off. It's like, if you don't read anything else, please take away <laughs> these five things. Because again, we just have to be realistic. We, I want to create deep content for, for people to really enjoy, but you know, considering everyone's doing a million things at once. We want to be thoughtful about that. We want to make sure that we're letting them know what they're getting in for so that they could feel comfortable and continue reading and, and be willing to engage with it and, and not just see it as a, you know, another piece of information that they need to like give away their identity, <laughs> their email and their name for, for no reason. It has to be worth the form fill. That's my, that's my mandate to everybody I've ever mm -hmm. worked for and with. If it's not worth the form fill, we can't produce it. It's mm -hmm. not, not, not worth our, it's not worth the, the time we put into it. And it's not worth it for the reader. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you made a lot of good points there. One that I think is worth emphasizing is if I'm hearing you correctly, like in journalism, there's the phrase burying the lead, right? <laughs> Something you don't want to do. And it me usually means like, dude, you took the most important, most interesting part of this story and you buried it down in paragraph 15 that should go right up top, right? And I think the thinking there when that happens is often like, well, we want to save the best stuff. You know, we don't want to give it all away in the first, you know, paragraph, or whatever, save it so that when people read through, they'll get to this great part. But that's typically frowned upon, right? And in the style that you're describing, it's no foreground, whatever story you're writing with all the most important stuff right up front, again, on this assumption that people may not, despite your wishes or your best efforts, people might not read down to paragraph 15 or paragraph whatever. Give them the good stuff right away up front. Mm -hmm. And then as the article goes down, it's sort of less and less crucial information, although not, you know, still interesting, but less crucial. And so if I'm hearing you right, you're saying same basic principle can apply to content marketing, whether it's a report as you described or a blog post or or whatever. Am I on the right track there? Uh, absolutely. No, yeah. You know, there's, <laughs> there's a couple of things. I always show my age at whatever company I'm at when I say the phrase, you bury the lead because <laughs> half the people, I people are like, what? what I said. <laughs> so like, right. I think I've heard this phrase used of like, what do you, what's a lead? Um, yeah, yeah. So I always crack up. Uh, uh, and I always try to like impart some journalism on all the people I work with, whether they like it or not. Cause that's just really how I like to, to, run the team. But the other, the other portion is important. Service journalism isn't so different from what, what you do in content marketing. There's a problem in a community in, in, in service journalism, there's a problem in a community that is not being solved. So as a journalist, you go and you dig into the information you try to understand the facts. You talk to a whole bunch of people and you try to understand what the source of the problem is. And then you write about it as objectively as you can. And you, you try to help people solve it. You try to push people towards the people in positions of power. And so same principles in a lot of ways apply to what we're doing when you do in content marketing. You see the problem, you know, in a specific sector. I see the problems being, you know, in this 
portion of my life, I see the problems being faced by product managers. I talk to the product managers on my team. I talk to a whole bunch of other project product managers that aren't on my team, try to understand the problems and then write things that will work towards solutions to those problems. It'll expose them, point them out for what they are and, and then help help people objectively, you know, through things that, you know, we've learned and mm-hmm. actually solve them and, and hope that our, our product will also be a facilitator. But I do think, you know, the problems don't always have to be software specific. They're, they're bigger problems or change management problems. They're bigger, you know, bigger thematic problems, but no matter what, whether the leading you're leading in, in content marketing, whether you're leading the person back to your product or not, you'll gain the respect of the end user of the reader. If you're helping do a service and you're pointing out the problems, you're trying to give them reasons to, to actually, and, and ways to actually solve them. Not through your voice as the, I know best because I'm product board, but as, yeah. a, as, a, as a person who's taking a lot of inputs from people actually doing the work and, and putting them out there so that people can be like, I feel the same way. And that's what I, that's what I really try to do. And, and I try to lead with the, the, the people as opposed to the talking, the, the type of content market where you're just talking at organizations or people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. A lot. Okay. A lot of good stuff to unpack there as well. So one thing you mentioned, and I think this is a very important point is that what you're writing has to actually be, it has to do what, what the lead says it's going to do. Right. So if you're writing, you know, about, it's an article that features the voices of product managers and and it's about how to solve a particular product management type problem or, you know, then in the, the lead, you're going to state that very clearly, right? This article is going to help you do X, Y, and Z. And then the article actually has to deliver on that and not make, make the reader wait until the end or somehow figure that out throughout the article. You know, I was just earlier today, I was looking at a blog post. I, I had Googled cost for producing a, a particular kind of podcast. I'm just curious what was out there. And I found a link to a blog post that purported to answer that question. And I started reading it and it was super frustrating. It kept kind of teasing about, you want to know the cost? Well, here's all these other things. And then I read through the whole thing and it never quite broke it down in the way that I was hoping. And it was a long blog post. So it was a disappointing experience. You know what I mean? In other words, it didn't deliver on what the title said it was going to do. And the first paragraph as well. So I think one point is you have to do that, right? You have to, in the clearest way possible, deliver on what the on what your lead promises that you're actually going to deliver. And then number two, and I think this speaks to another very basic skill that journalists learn is how to find good sources and then use them in in what you're creating. So let's let's dig into that a little bit more. The kind of there's an art and the science to finding the right sources and then getting from them what you need to tell the story that you're gonna you know that that you're gonna tell. Crucial for journalism, and I think in an obvious way. But how does this apply to content marketing? How do what have you learned about how to find good sources and then how to use them? Not in a cynical way, you know what I mean, but like get get the best out of them to create good content. What have you learned from journalism that's useful in that regard in content marketing? Yeah, no, I, I think there's a few things. One is I've been fortunate to have facilitators within the organizations I've worked for that are always willing to help me source internal and external 
folks to to talk about. But that's the that's the gets at the 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 key point. You want diverse diversity of point of views. You know, whether they're yeah. people within your company or, or or outside, you want to try your best to to if whatever time allows to get a, a wide swath of, of diverse point of views. Second thing is don't make assumptions. That's a journalism life <laughs> lesson, all, all the above. Whatever, you know, the thing I learned, especially in journalism, was whatever the story or the angle I thought I was getting into always turned on its head by the time I actually got to, got to writing it. So if you come in closed-minded, you're going to end up with a, a pretty myopic, closed-minded output. What I really want to do is come in open-minded with a lot of curiosity when you know, identify statements or pieces of information that could make me go, oh, whoa, hey, let's unpack that a little bit. Like, mm. that's amazing. Tell me more about that. You know, just being able to identify those things and not let them just kind of pass in one ear and out the other, be, you know, being a good listener in that way. I, I couldn't learn that without falling on my face a lot of times early on in my career. As a journalist, you would bury the lead or you would miss the key quote or you would miss the key person by five mm. minutes because your car didn't get there in time. Mm. Again, dating myself, you know, it wasn't as easy to access people. You know, so it really showed me that one conversation might be your only one. And so get the most value out of it as you can and make sure you ask the, the right questions, leave with no regret to, mm. to be able to get the information that you need. And then be really hard on yourself. Be really critical of yourself if you're leaning towards one thing or another and you're not you're making sure that you're bringing a balanced point of view and, and you're seeing themes emerge as you talk to more people mm. and you unpack those things. So that, that's really that's really been a helpful guide to me. And, you know, it's something I try to impart on all the writers I, I've worked with as well. It's like, you might only get one chance at this, at this call. You might only get one chance to ask these questions, be a good listener, ask follow-up questions, be curious. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, you know, in my experience, working with sources, like, like, like you said, and this is so important, you, you might just have one chance to, cause they're giving you their time, right? So to interview them 15 minutes, half hour, whatever, make sure you're prepared for that. And that, and that can mean a few things, both of which you, you touched on, I think in really interesting ways. Like one is go and prepare to kind of knowing why you're interviewing this person and what you want to get from them, like what part of the story it's going to, it's going to apply to. So you're not just hoping to get good stuff or what you need. And then maybe you will, maybe you won't. No, you, you really just have this one chance, go and make sure you get it. On the other hand, as you said, it, it don't be already so tied to a certain narrative that you're unwilling to follow, you know, different interesting things that a source might say that might take it in a different direction. Right. I think it's almost impossible to go into any piece without any idea of where you want to go. In fact, you should, you got to have a sense of the structure of the story, kind of why you're doing it, where the piece is going. But so, as you said, it can sometimes take on a life of its own and the angle can shift or change. And it's important to be open to that because I think personally that that creates better content overall. It's more, it's less predictable. It's maybe more surprising. It's you're, you're using your sources in a more interesting and creative way rather than trying to shoehorn them into an existing narrative that you've already, that you already have planned and you're unwilling to deviate from. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think, I think in a similar way, there's been a progression to the, to the mean when you think about that relation between content 
in, in editorial before there were these very two separate things on the very opposite ends of the spectrum. And thankfully, you know, due to my background and the philosophy I have in terms of creating content, more organizations have this appetite and this hunger to have a more editorial point of view, create, mm -hmm. create a, a, a one-stop shop, a, a magazine, if you will, across the, the topic that is most important to them. You've seen so many organizations be successful, you know, Envision, my previous company did well before me, I will take no credit for it. It's so well designed. Just, just editorialized the heck out of it. Had, you know, a ton of beat writers covering different areas of design. Mm. Really built an editorial operation for that, and you see that with a whole bunch of other organizations as well that have really have a lot of respected. It's called content, but it's really it's journalism. It's, it's deep dives, and the mm. hunger and the desire for that in my current role, as we're building that out, and, and in past roles, is is getting stronger and stronger. And it's really, um, it, it's really encouraging, you know, that those, that those differences that everyone thought uh, between the content and, and editorial aren't really, those gaps aren't really as far as we thought they, they were in the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's really interesting that even as we're watching traditional journalism kind of slowly die, you know, as fewer people read newspapers and whatever. Yeah. In the, especially I think in the B2B world, we're seeing I don't know if that we want to call it journalism exactly, but a different kind of media that, that, as you say, is maybe fusing the editorial with the reporting. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that as content marketing grows and more and more organizations kind of build out like a media wing, you know, something different than it'll probably look different than what we see now with like, you know, you have a blog on your website or, you know, some videos it might be a whole separate part of your company that is like its own magazine or own, you know, online media. I hope so. That'd be great. Yeah. You know, keep me relevant. That's for, <laughs> that's for sure. No, right. no well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think there's just that acknowledgement that you're never, you know, there's, there's always going to be the people that land on your site knowing what they want and they're going to get the demo. They're going to buy the product. Right. But especially as you go up, you know, upstream, you're dealing with enterprise companies. Like that's not a immediate you know, decision with your you know, very few exceptions. But the, so it's, it's be, you know, there's been this newfound trust in content to help ease people there. And if that content is really bad or it doesn't get into the depths of the urgency and the insecurities being faced by the people reading it, that will help or be aided by the, the software or whatever the solution is, then you've lost them. And just mm. like you're just like we were just talking about the sources, you might only get one chance. You might have people just landing yeah. on that website one time. And, and, and so, you know, that is, it's just critical to like a newspaper, engage, you know, engage people at the, at the onset and keep them engaged and turn them into loyal readers and returning readers. And one, you know, one day, maybe they, they'll, they'll, they'll buy your product. And, you know, I think to your point, yeah, journalism has, has gone through a lot of rough years. There's been a lot of M&A and there's only a few left standing, but I don't think the appetite for the, the journalism has ever gone away. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, I do wonder, and I do hope, I think I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that, you know, in, in this way, in this very niche specific topic that we're helping, you know, when we get to the editorial standards that, you know, I, I've wanted for my companies that, that they're helping fill that gap in a way that they're, that they're providing mm -hmm. something that makes them go, huh, 
I never really thought about it that way. Or, wow, I never knew that about this person or the story behind this product or this feature. That's an amazing, that's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so that's really, you know, I think the, the, the gap that content could, could fill that, that journalism just hasn't been able to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I, you, I think you're a hundred percent right. There's still, people still want to know what's going on. They still want news. They still want interesting insights into, you know, that are relevant to them. And I think we can learn just as much. We can learn from journalism, what to do things that are really useful for gun to marketing. There's a whole realm of things we can learn what not to do as a lot of, you know, I think over the last several years, especially a lot of news outlets have lost credibility or it has been really damaged because we, we won't go into that because it's like a whole other topic. But I, you know, like you mentioned, you could put some content out there for your company. Even if it's bad and what bad means can mean a lot of things, but that can damage you, you know, like there's, there's stuff at stake there. It's maybe even worse than not putting anything out at all. <laughs> you know, anyway, a whole other realm of conversation, but we're not going to get into it right now. That's maybe we'll have you back for a, another conversation. But Nick, one last question before I let you go. How can people get in touch with you? Oh, sure. I'm available on LinkedIn. Just uh, Nick Biotis. Yeah. Happy to, to talk to anybody about the trade and always always looking for you know, contributors to, to the site, particularly as we, we grow our editorial platform. Okay. Awesome. We'll put a link to your LinkedIn bio in the show notes. And uh, Nick, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that discussion. As you can tell, I really didn't want to stop, but we have to stop at some point. So thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it was great talking with you, Jeremy. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.